Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all tonight. It's always nice to be with you at Ivanrest on these Sunday afternoons, especially when it's hot and you turn the air conditioning on. So it's a comfortable place to be, isn't it? Together with each other as we worship the Lord. It's encouraging. So I hope you are encouraged tonight and blessed by our time together. You know, we we sang those songs, you know, um, my hope is in you, Lord. And it is, isn't it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We believe that, right? And that's true. But we so easily give in to fear and anxiety, don't we? We are just so easily, I think, just blown by the wind and the circumstances of life, and we just end up in that fear and anxiety, don't we? Now, some of that anxiety is, you know, just kind of benign. doesn't mean very much. Like, you know, your first day of school or your first, first day at a new job, you know, or you're at the free throw line with two seconds to go in the tie score, something like that, right? We've all had things like that. But then there's other more serious kinds of anxiety and fear and brokenness. And, and you, you look at what's going on in our world and the crime and the violence and the injustice, right? It's all over. Or it gets a little bit more personal, Right? bad news from the doctor and you're sent into anxiety and fear and what's going to happen the loss of a loved one or a spouse that you spent 40 years with or 50 years with and now you're alone and what are you going to do we so easily give in so i want to talk a little bit about hope tonight in the midst of sort of discouragement and the world in which we live and you know god Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to lose one ounce of life over fear, anxiety, or discouragement. He doesn't. You know, He's a Heavenly Father. You know, when we comfort our children, a lot of times we say to them, you know, it's okay. It'll be all right. All will be well. Well, sometimes that's not always true, but we say it anyway, right? But when God says it, it is true. And it it will be all well. And his kingdom, although it started very small and from an unlikely source and is often hidden and unseen in our world, his kingdom is spreading, isn't it? And one day, evil will be overcome and God's community of people, including us, will flourish and the entire creation will be redeemed. And Jesus wanted to talk about that because there were folks in his day who were down and discouraged and wondering what was happening and the Romans are here and what's going on and where's God? And Jesus wanted to talk about this. So he told two little stories, very short little parables, and it's our text tonight. So if you want to follow along uh, with the uh, written words, you can do that in Matthew 13. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 31. If you just want to listen with your ears, that's okay too. But Jesus wanted to talk about this with folks in his day and then with us tonight. So here we go. These two little short stories, Matthew 13, beginning at verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, 
It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And this is the word of God for us tonight. Now, these stories that Jesus tells, these two little stories, are really about human beings developing one thing. It's really just one thing. And I think it's the one thing that human beings cannot endure the loss of. We just have to have this to go on. You know, uh, we can endure the loss of an awful lot, can't we? And human beings have. People throughout history have lost their health and they've lost their financial well-being, their reputation, their career success, and yet they've endured. They've carried on. People can experience relational loss or emotional trauma, and they still go on. All throughout history, people have suffered pain or rejection or isolation, even persecution, even abuse. They go on. There have been people who have faced concentration camps, right, with unbroken spirits and unbowed heads. But I'll tell you something, human beings cannot endure the loss of one thing. They cannot endure the loss of hope. Cannot survive without hope. Human beings cannot go on without hope. Hope is just how we live. Hope is what gets us from one day to the next, to the next, to the next, and keeps us going in that direction. You know, you go to school and you hope that one day you'll graduate. You graduate and you hope you'll enter into a great career, right? You're single perhaps and you'll hope you meet the right person and fall in love and get married and, and you get married and then you, you, know, you hope you get kids into the house, right? One day and you get kids in there and then you get kids into the house and you hope, all right. <laughs> so it's not funny because we just sent one of our kids off about half an hour ago. So it's not funny, everybody. But, 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 but you do hope for your kids to grow up and go and yeah, hope, right? We hope. We live by hope. When hope is gone, endurance and joy and energy and courage just sort of evaporate and life begins to fade. When hope goes, you start to die. Well, the writer of Proverbs knew this too. One of the, all these Proverbs are just nuggets, nuggets of wisdom. One of the most profound of all is Proverbs 13, verse 12. 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ever have a hope deferred? Yeah, sure you have. Of course you have. I have too. We all have, you know? See, here's the deal with hope, though. 
The issue is not whether you sort of become a hopeful person in general. Tonight, we're not talking about developing an optimistic attitude and becoming a positive person, although that's not such a bad thing either. You know, we're not talking about whatever it is that you wish for will come true. You know, I hope for this or I hope for that. The issue is, are you putting your hope in the right thing? What really are you hoping for? You know, and, and Jesus comes along and he says, listen, everybody, listen. Put your hopes in the kingdom of God. That's it. Put your hopes in the kingdom of God. For his plan for the universe will one day prevail. It surely will. And to help people embrace that and live by it, Jesus tells these two little stories. You know, one of them's an agricultural metaphor, right, about mustard seed, we'll get to it. The other one's kind of a baking metaphor about leaven and bread and all that. But the primary point in each one of these is this tremendous contrast. It's a contrast. First of all, he talks about this mustard seed, right? You all know about the mustard seed, right? Famous for being real small and real tiny and so on. 39 one-thousandths of an inch across. I don't know how you measure that. Can you even see it? I don't know, 39 one-thousandths of an inch across. Barely visible, tiny little seed. But when it's planted in the ground and it's surrounded by nutrients, a mustard seed could grow in a single season to 12 feet high. And the birds would make their nests in those trees just from that seed. And from this tiny, just unlikely looking seed in the ground comes this flourishing plant, virtually a tree that could provide food and housing for birds and animals and so. And you look at the seed. You know, I don't know if you can even see it in our magnifying glass, maybe. And then you look at the tree and you'd say, what? This enormous tree is going to emerge from something as puny and insignificant as a mustard seed? Sure, Jesus says. Sure. I mean, just put the seed in the ground. It's just a matter of time. Small beginnings, unlikely source, irresistible growth. See, once the seed is in the ground, the contest is over. The outcome is inevitable. No matter how small the seed or how unlikely the seed, once the seed is in the ground, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And then he tells the second story. It's a baking analogy. And a woman is making bread and it's not leavened yet. And, you know, unleavened bread is hard and dry and kind of unappetizing. You know, so she puts in a little yeast and she mixes in a little lump of leaven. And what happens is there's this chemical process and, and it fills the dough with these hundreds of tiny little pockets of carbon dioxide. And as the bread is heated, each one of those little pockets expands and the whole loaf rises and soon the whole house is filled with the aroma of fresh baked bread. Remember that? Oh, I just love that smell. Now, what's striking to Jesus' listeners here in this story is the amount of bread he talks about. You know, you'd expect this woman to be making maybe a loaf or two of bread, but, but he says here that she uses three measures of flour. Now, that would be roughly 128 cups or 16 five-pound bags of flour. Add the 42 cups or so of water that you would need, and you'd end up with a little over 101 pounds of dough. 
She's making enough bread for the city of Grand Rapids. And you look at this amount, and Jesus' listeners would think, what, this huge amount of bread is going to be leavened by a tiny little lump of yeast? Something so enormous is going to be transformed by something so insignificant? Well, sure, Jesus says. Sure, just put a little lump of yeast in the dough, and once you do that, it's just a matter of time. In fact, when he tells the story, the word that gets translated uh, there, mixed, mix the dough in, it's actually their word for to hide something. And we get our word cryptic from that word. But Jesus says the woman actually hides the leaven in the dough. You can't even see it. And I think he uses that word deliberately. I think he's saying that, you know, the way that the kingdom works is not always immediately recognizable to everybody. There is something hidden about it. You can't see it all the time. It doesn't always come in the way that we want it to, in the way that we would expect it to, with a big bang and bells and whistles. And so, small beginnings, unlikely source, but irresistible growth. So no matter how small the leaven, no matter how huge the loaf, once the leaven is in the dough, the contest is over. The outcome is inevitable, and it's just a matter of time. Now, you see, Jesus tells these stories to people who suffer from disappointment, from discouragement, anxiety, or fear, or they're just overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world or their family or a personal relationship, just like you and I, but those who especially suffer from spiritual disappointment. You know, when you think about it, you know, the people of God had really been hoping for centuries. In a sense, the whole story of the Old Testament is a story of hope, you know, because people knew that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, you go back to the very beginning, that story of the fall in Genesis, right? After the man and the woman, they fall into sin and they disobey God and they have to, you know, they have to leave the garden. Right then, though, on their way out, they're offered hope. They're offered hope. And God prophesies that the woman will one day have an offspring and, and that the evil one, the serpent, will strike at his heel that offspring, that child. But then Genesis 3.15 says that the offspring of that woman, that child, would someday crush the head of the serpent. And in time, the people of God came to understand that as a reference to the Messiah. You know, God would come and he would one day crush the work of the evil one and he would overturn the curse. And there's this note of hope right from the very beginning of the story. And then there's the flood. And after the flood, God says the rainbow. And, you know, every time I see the rainbow, you know, God says, I'm going to remember my everlasting covenant between me and every living creature and all flesh on the earth. And every time you look up and see the rainbow, God says, you're going to hope. Hope was the manna that kept Israel going through the desert for 40 years. Hope was that still small voice that whispered to Elijah that he wasn't alone, even though he thought he was all by himself. 
through a discouraged preacher named Jeremiah to whom nobody would listen, God says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you a future with a hope. So the people wait. And they hope for a big kingdom. And they hope for a powerful king. And they hope for mighty armies and the destruction of their enemies and the overthrow of the Roman Empire. And that's what they were hoping for when they were thinking about this Messiah. And then Jesus comes and says the words that the human race has been waiting for centuries to hear. Jesus comes and he says, All right, everybody. All right. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. The will of God, the redemption of human society and all of creation to live in the kingdom of God is now available to ordinary men and women. What you've been waiting for for centuries has arrived. The one who is going to crush the serpent is here. And I'm it. This is it, people. I'm the one the party has started. And so some people hear that and they leave everything and they follow this Jesus. Many others, though, kind of stand on the sidelines and they watch to see what's going to happen, right? They're not going to jump in right away, you know, and they want to really see if this kingdom is available. You know, and then as they look, what they end up seeing is this itinerant traveling rabbi and kind of a ragtag band of disciples, really young boys traveling with him. You know, and there's some teaching, and there's some healing that goes on, but that's about all. He doesn't claim the crown, and Jesus did not build a great organization. He never calls an army. He never marches on Rome. He never even meets the emperor. And Jesus knows that as the people are watching him, and as he brings in the kingdom, they're going to be tempted to think, this is it? I mean, is this all there is? I mean, we we had such hopes. We were going to triumph over our enemies. You know, the name of God was going to be vindicated. You know, the doers of evil were going to be destroyed and crushed. I mean, is this it, Jesus? Is this the kingdom? Is this all there is? You know, even John the Baptist, remember? John the Baptist is in prison there, and and he, he sends word back to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? You know, is this it? And so Jesus says the same thing that he says to you and me. He says, listen, don't be confused or misled or discouraged, not for a single minute, for the kingdom of God has invaded this earth. And right now it might look about the size of a mustard seed. The kingdom of God came to earth in the form of a helpless little baby laid in a little manger located in a stable of a humble inn in a hick town called Bethlehem in an obscure outpost of a Roman empire that Caesar probably didn't even know he controlled. And it looks pretty insignificant. But, Jesus says, Once the seed is in the ground, it's just a matter of time. 
And once the yeast is in the dough, the bread can't help but rise. It just can't stop. So don't get discouraged. Come on, everybody. Don't give up now. Don't give in to fear now. Don't become anxious and depressed now. Because the seed's in the ground, and the yeast is in the dough, and evil will be overcome, and the curse will be overthrown, and sin and guilt and death will be destroyed, and God's community of people will flourish, and community will be, creation will be redeemed. Jesus says, okay, everybody, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up right now. It's just a matter of time. You know, and then the question comes, all right, all right, Jesus, you know, how much time? (laughs) I'd like to know that one. How much time? And that's the hard part because I don't know. I don't know. And it's not bread yet. And hoping in this world is not easy. Apparently, you talked about the already not yet this morning. Is that right? Okay. Right, right, right there, you know. Yes, already Jesus is here. The kingdom has come. He has announced its arrival, right? But it's not bread yet. It's not done yet. And we don't know exactly how that's going to make its circuitous route into the end and the culmination. So what I want to do in just the last couple minutes we have left here tonight is just from this passage, just talk to you about two things, just two things that hope does in a world that's not bred yet. Okay, just two things you kind of got to take with you tonight, you know, that, that, that hope does and hangs on to in a world that's not quite bred yet. And I got I to warn you, they're both pretty hard. And you're not going to like either one of them. Because I didn't either. But here goes. All right, the first one is this. Hope waits patiently. Hope has to, because it's not yet. It's not yet. It's not yet. Hope waits patiently. How do you like that one? Do you like waiting patiently? I mean, I don't even like standing in line at the store, you know, and I don't like sitting at a red light, you know, for even 10 seconds. I don't like waiting at all, but, but we, we're going to have to learn to wait patiently because that's what hope does, because God's timing is not our timing. And I would like the mustard plant right now I would like my gray poupon today, so to speak. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at work, but you're going to have to wait patiently. So the question is, will you do that? And will you lean into God all the way, even when it's not going your way, even when the brokenness creeps in, even when the days are dark, will you still lean in and wait patiently? You know, it's hard for us. You know, let me ask you, where, you know, where's an area in your life where you need to hang on to hope by practicing patience? Where's that hardest for you? You know, maybe you have a child that struggles in some area and, you know, you've been just expecting perfection right now. And you get frustrated because that child doesn't become a mature adult overnight. And you think, man, there ought to be perfection. There ought to be obedience. There ought to be compliance. There ought to be some results here. Parents, let go of that. Because raising kids is like three steps forward, two steps back. That's just the way it is. 
Will you be willing to help that child grow one slow step at a time and celebrate every moment of growth? It just takes time. Some of you are wrestling with a sin in some area of your life. And you pray and you seek help and then you slip again. And you're tempted to quit because change didn't come perfectly overnight. And you're tempted to give in to despair and self-pity. And you think, well, God can't use me anymore. And I'm no good. And this is never going to work. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Will you say tonight, I'm going to battle that sin one step at a time. Just one step at a time. Just one small step at a time. And when there's a failure, and there will be, I'm still going to lean into God. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to hope patiently. Some of you are dissatisfied with your work. You know, you've been praying about this and you've been thinking about this and nothing's really happening and you're getting a bit frustrated and you think, man, I've been praying about this now for two days and nothing's happening. When's something going to happen and change? And you're ready to quit praying and you're ready to give up. Sometimes God calls us to pray for a long time. And so we have to, and we don't know why. The process of developing character takes time. And God is up to something. I know he is because the seed's in the ground and he's up to something in your personal life. He's doing something in your family with your children. He is. And on a grand scale, he is doing something in our world with all of creation and all of the nations, despite what it looks like, because it's already, but not quite yet. And so we're going to need to wait patiently. It will be set right. It will be. But will you be patient? Okay, the other thing about hope is that hope means refusing to give in to fear. Hope means refusing to give in to fear. Hope never gives in to fear. It just never gives up. You know, I was, I was reading the Old Testament, an Old Testament scholar this week who writes that in the Old Testament, there is no neutral concept of expectation. As people develop expectations for the future in the Old Testament, an expectation is either good or bad. Therefore, it's neither hope or fear. You know, we, we sort of just live between hope and fear, don't we? We just live right in the middle between hope and fear. And sometimes we go from one to the other so quickly. All right, kind of a silly story, so forgive me. I'm apologizing ahead of time. You should never apologize before you tell the story, but oh, I just did. Okay, this, you know, right, there's this guy, he's going through the woods, and he's, he's doing fine. He's having a good time. It's a beautiful day, and suddenly he comes across this enormous, angry bear. And he's filled with fear. He just sees with fear, and he, he can't think of what else to do. So he, so he just prays, and he falls down to his knees, and he clasps his hands, and he closes his eyes, and he begins to pray. He says, God... Please make this bear a Christian. <laughs> and he sits there for a minute, and he's quaking in fear, and he, all of a sudden, to his amazement, the bear gets down on his knees and clasps his paws and closes his eyes and begins to pray. And the guy is so filled with hope, it's going to be okay. Until he hears the bear's prayer. Lord, for what we are about to receive, we are truly grateful. <laughs> And boom, he sees with fear again, back and forth. The truth is, life is lived between hope and fear. You know, things go well 
you know, a promising job, a new relationship, an A on a test. I'm filled with hope. Things go badly. The possibility of bad news about health or money. I'm seized with fear. Bull market, I'm hopeful. Bear market, I'm filled with fear. Well, in the Bible, friends, in the Bible, hope wins. Hope wins. Hope always wins. In the Bible, what enables the heroes to overcome their fear is not bravado. It's not courage. It's not belief in their own resources or strength or persistence or ability. It's just hope. It's hope. The writer of Hebrews says, we have this hope. This is Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope which is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's what hope is. The anchor of the soul. And it never gives in to fear. And it will not be moved no matter what's going on. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 11, that great chapter 11, right? With all those heroes of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, David. By faith, Moses. By faith, by faith, by faith. And they just kept going and they just kept walking and they just moved on ahead and they were not deterred because they had hope. What ended up keeping them going? And it wasn't because it was because it was because they were convinced that the seed was in the ground, that the yeast was in the dough. And maybe they wouldn't see the fulfillment of their hopes today, and maybe they wouldn't see it tomorrow. In fact, those heroes of faith never really saw it at all in its fullness. But they said, we can't quit now. We can't quit now. We're not stopping now. Because it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Christian hope says it's just a matter of time. And so hope never gives up. And some of you, I know, some of you have been deeply disappointed. You have. I mean, you had such hopes. And things have not turned out the way that you wanted them to. And maybe they never will. You know, you had such dreams, you're going to change the world. You're going to have this huge impact, and it just doesn't seem to work out. Or you had this dreams of a marvelous vocation and job and you're going to be this gift to so many people and things have turned out much smaller than you'd ever hoped for. Or you had a dream for a marriage of great intimacy and love, but you, know, you, you never got married or, or it ended or it's difficult. Or you had dreams of children and what that relationship would be like and Maybe you ended up not having children or maybe you had them, but there's a relationship that's hard and there's conflict there. Or you had dreams that have been dashed because of health or other circumstances or somebody that you love dearly has died and left you alone. You know, Jesus understands because Jesus had dreams too. He stood one day on a hill and he looked over that city of Jerusalem that he loved so much. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you and loved you and protected you like a mother hen. But you would not. 
See, Jesus understands all about broken dreams. And when he was crucified, it seemed like his dream was being crucified with him. But of course, it wasn't. Because the truth is that when they laid his body in the tomb, they were just putting the seed in the ground. They were just putting the yeast in the dough. And from that point on, friends, it's just a matter of time. This is Christian hope. It is that one day every wrong will be set right, every tear will be dried, and every suffering will be redeemed. And so Jesus says, and he says to the people then, and he says to you tonight, and I don't know where you are, and I don't know what's happening, and it could be very severe, but I can say this for sure, what Jesus said. Get your hopes up, people. Get your hopes up. Come on. It's just a matter of time. Let's pray. God, we remember all of the wonderful promises of Scripture going all the way back to the very beginning. Words of hope and words of promise and words of comfort and words of encouragement for us. All so that we may be hopeful people. Not just hoping that this or that circumstance will turn out well, but hope that your kingdom is at work. And flourishing, even though we don't see it. That the kingdom that Jesus lived and taught and died for and was raised for is doing very well right here in our midst. Lord, tonight, for each and every person here, give us hope that we might look forward to the perfection of your kingdom and living with you throughout eternity. Indeed, our hope is in you, and our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood.